is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is one that you've heard before and enjoyed greatly, and his name is Joe Lample from Growing a Greener World, and it, which is a wonderful public, it's one of the few real gardening shows that's on TV anymore, and in my um, opinion, it is the best one. Anyway, Joe Lample is here, and let's get talking to him. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Daryl. And listen, I have to say, coming from you, that's quite a compliment. So thank you very much for for your high words of praises. That's that really is that says a lot. Well, yeah, you know me, I'm crabby. If I don't like something, <laughs> well, that's, not, that's my point. Yeah, I mean, to, to get that from you is really a big thing. So yeah, I like well, it. I, it like it is. <laughs> I really enjoy talking to you, and our listeners have written and said that they like to hear from you, too. So we're going to talk today about where your show is going and, and, and what new things you might be doing, and also a little bit about what are you doing in your garden that okay. you're planning to do that's, that maybe is different. So let's get started. Joe, um, for people that don't know you, you've done, you've been all over public TV and before that HGTV or, mm-hmm. um, for years and years, and you're also known as Joe Gardner. Mm-hmm. And so you have... And you've recorded practically all over the U.S. and in, in some foreign countries. So what are you planning for this year? Wow, yeah. Uh, <laughs> after six years and uh, 26 episodes a year, it's like what what else is there to tell? And honestly, Daryl, we've, we've sort of faced that challenge because we've been so focused for so long on um, – kind of a gardening theme, which is really where our roots are. And there's so many puns related to gardening that, you know, work their way into life, and there's one right there. But it is. It's where it's where our heart is, and it's what we love and what we really know. But at the same time, not only myself, but everybody on my team is, is very focused on, you know, lightening their footprint and living a more environmentally responsible life. And so, it's not just about the garden, although, you know, we do a lot of not-so-pretty things as we try to pretty up our garden. There are many things outside of that that impact a lot of other people that may not necessarily be gardeners. And so we want to to really start telling the stories of the things that um, impact the masses, really, and, and how they live their life. And they may not even be thinking about these little things that truly add up and the consequences are, are, can be pretty catastrophic. For example, you know, all the plastic that we use, the water bottles, the shopping bags, the, I mean, the packaging, there's so many things that involve plastic. And, you know, I understand the reasons why plastic is so popular, but at the same time, if we were more conscious about where that plastic ends up and the options that we have to abstain from plastic, um, I think I think we'd be astounded at um, the, in, the benefits that would have that would, that would trickle down throughout, you know, not only where we live but through the world. And one specific example of that is a story that we want to do this year, where we really want to to show the basically how plastic travels downstream, literally 
to the ocean and where it ends up in the ocean. And we know the ocean is 75% of this planet. But do you know, Daryl, that most of the ocean is contaminated with plastic, and some of it is so small you really can't see it with a naked eye. But the fish, you know, the, the, um, the food chain in the ocean is consuming that plastic, and then it's consumed by bigger fish who are consumed by bigger fish. So anyway, it ends up back in our bodies, like it or not. But that's not the worst part. The worst part is the damage that it's doing to those, those ecosystems in the ocean from from the plastic that we're consuming on land. And it's so massive in scale. There are several areas around the world that are larger than the state of Texas that have accumulated kind of um, like a vortex of this plastic that just finds its way to this epicenter around the world, several places that are bigger than Texas. And again, it's not just, it's not just concentrated in, in those vortexes. It's, it's, it's degraded pieces of plastic that are you know, all through the ocean, even the most pristine areas, you think by looking at it, it's crystal clear. But if you scoop it up and analyze it, as many scientists have done, you find that it's just loaded with this, these microscopic pieces of plastic. And it's just awful. So, anyway, I'm already off on a rant about that. But... <laughs> well, the rants are good because I, don't, I think a lot of people don't know about it. Yeah. Um, there have been discussions on Facebook because we have a, a dental hygienist among our friends. And she brought up, or somebody brought up, the um, the story about how microbeads were even being used in toothpaste for a while. Wow. For extra scrubbing. And can you imagine all those little tiny things? I think they, that they had now been taken out because they were getting in between people's teeth and up in their gums and stuff. And But, but all that stuff, and if people have, say, um, a septic system or even, uh, you know, a septic system you think right. is, is a closed system, but then when it gets pumped, a lot of this stuff goes right into a water processing plant, a water treatment plant, just like uh, water, you know, that you use in your bathroom to brush your teeth, and then it goes into the city um, drainage system for, yeah. for treatment, for sewage treatment, right. and it doesn't get filtered out. And speaking of water, that's another topic we're going to take on this year, and it's such a big topic, and there's so many ways we could go with it, but we're going to talk about how how different um, municipalities, how individuals, how cities, um, how we're dealing with water, how are we repurposing it, recycling it, processing it, using it as gray water, conserving it. I, obviously, I haven't decided all the different ways we're going to try to tell this story in a matter of 21 minutes. Uh, and we will only scratch the surface, but we'll bring up issues that people probably haven't thought about or have been aware of. And you know, again, we're all about we we can't we can't tackle an entire subject in one episode. But what our goal has always been is to try to start the dialogue, try to raise the awareness, try to get people thinking with some some basic information that equips them to raise their curiosity. And our, our, our audience is generally very smart. So if we can give them the right tools to start thinking down a different line about a subject that they haven't really thought much about before as they go about their daily lives, but that really does have an impact downstream in all these different ways, that's what we're trying to do in our show and through our other channels online and through our, you know, our network of our blogs and things. But we just want to get the conversation started and equip them with some really useful information to start talking about it. 
And I noticed, as most everybody else has, I think, that on your website, Growing a Greener World, where you have your, your TV shows on it, you also have links to more information. Yeah. And I assume that you're going to do that for this, so people can drill down and find it. Well, and that's the thing, because the television show is one-dimensional. You know, people like to watch our show, and they they find it educational. You know, they ed, is that the word? The entertain in, in what is that word? Entertaining, and educational, <laughs> education. I whatever. <don't> remember. <laughs> anyway, they they like watching it. They're somewhat entertained, but they always tell us that they learn so much, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's a fixed amount of time, and there's no way to engage with them. They're just they're just consuming information in one direction. But if they and we always encourage them to go to the website for more information because we work hard at really providing a lot of additional information so they can go deeper with everything that we talk about. But they have to go to the website to get it. I mean there's no other way we can think to really make it easy for them to do it, but it's in one place. Every episode has a dedicated page of show notes. Not only is the episode there so they can go back and watch it, but the supporting information with the additional links and, you know, where did where can you get that thing that filters the water or whatever it may be. And and uh, we provide all of that information that we try to anticipate that they're going to want to know more about and links and additional pictures. And a lot of times I'll do a backstory blog about, you know, behind the scenes what happened and, you know, my take on it or something else. And then, and then this year, another thing we're going to do, Daryl, is we're going to have an accompanying – we started to do this in the first season or two, and it just we, we got overwhelmed with so many different projects. But we want to have a podcast that accompanies every episode. And the beauty of the podcast will be that um, it gives us a lot more flexibility with the information and the conversation that sometimes we're restricted with through the non-commercial format of public television and or public radio. A podcast is independent of all of those things, and so therefore we're able to have a lot more free reign on what we say. And an example of that was when we did a show on organic gardening, and we interview, we went to the Rodale Institute, and we sat down with Maria Rodale and Maya Rodale, so third and fourth generation Rodales, talking about some things. And, you know, Maria obviously is pretty passionate about organic gardening. I mean, she is her heart and soul was into it. And so she has an opinion and a manifesto, and she, you know, we want to hear about that. But when she was sharing that on the television show and it got sent up to APT and PBS, you know, it was a little too one-sided and it really wasn't preventing presenting kind of a balanced position. And uh, and we had to do some editing there to take some of what she said out, unfortunately. However, enter the podcast. And so Marie and I got back on the phone and we did a recorded podcast and we were able to really go where we couldn't go on television and tell it in a podcast. And it was one of the most popular episodes we did because of that. But that's, that's what we want to do with every episode that we we create in the future, and I'm really very excited about that. I think that's going to have a lot of um, impact for our for our audience because they can it it won't end after the show ends. I really like that because you yeah I understand the constraints of television. You know, it used to be mostly it was just commercial TV, mm-hmm. but now it's it's everything yeah. uh, where you really have to watch your. P's and Q's and, and not put anything on that might offend somebody. Are you going to tackle some of the big polluters? We're going to. Uh, <laughs> we are going to. It's going to be interesting because I'm ready to do that. You know, I, 
we're, we were kind of feeling our way through the different seasons and how we how we told stories and how we represented ourselves and how challenging we got with certain companies. But I think over the years, as I've gotten older and bolder, you know, we're ready to we're ready to do some of that, and it's high time because I'm uh, frankly. I get pretty disgusted behind the scenes, and uh, and I'm ready to to show a little bit more of that side. I think because uh, because greenwashing is so pervasive these days, and companies think that they can, you know, put a sustainable label on something or a natural label on something, and you know, you don't really. <laughs> a lot of people don't see through that, and I do all the time, and it's just it's just time to sound the siren good for you good for you i that makes me crazy when people fall fall hook hook, line and sinker for um you know something that says green or it says the bottle will will say you know recyclable and people think that that means that the bottle had been recycled yeah you know that just well we, we don't need to go there right now i don't need to get kicked off the air either i'm not i haven't been in the business for as long as you have um so when we, we're going to take a little break right now, but I, when we were talking right before we started recording, you were telling me some of the other projects that you're, yeah. you wanted to do. And so we'll talk a little bit more about tackling the greenwashing and some of the other companies and then talk about what, a couple of the really cool things that you told me that you were going to mm-hmm. do. So we'll be back with more of America's Homegrown Veggie Show right after this. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm here today with Joe Lample from Growing a Greener World and other shows that he's been he's done in the past, and right before the break, we were talking about um, chemicals, chemicals in our water and things like that, and some of the ways that that you're going to show people what's you know how they can be do better things for the planet. And one of the things about the chemicals is we have learned, and most of my listeners have probably learned in the last couple of years, that a lot of pesticides um, have damaged the monarch butterfly, and to the point where there were very, very few monarchs that survived to make the migration. And you were telling me that you're going to do something special about monarchs this year. Yeah, I'm one of the suckers who loves my monarchs, you know, and I want to make sure that we do our part to not let them their populations go to zero because we're, you know, we're dangerously close to that. I think in, in 20 years we've gone from uh, 100% down to, uh, 8% population. I think I heard from my uh, contact at Xerces Society. But anyway, I thought, what the heck? It would be, how cool would it be to do an episode that tells the story so people really understand what we're dealing with, with the plight of the monarchs, 
what's happening, what can we do as individuals to make a difference, um, what can companies do. And here's my thing about that. Companies are starting to take note, but it's also big ag and, you know, large plots of land from commercial farming. But um, word is getting out. But, again, I'm, you know, hopefully one of those ways that the word gets out. But I want to tell the story in a way that's relatable and hopeful. And um, we're going to do it by tracking the literal literal flight. I can't talk today. I'm tired. The literal flight path and life cycle of a monarch from, from when they leave, let's, let's just pick a state, let's say it's Minnesota, and they make their way over the course of the spring through summer to fall, and they end up down in Mexico. And I want to just show how that happens and, um, and the trials and tribulations they have along the way, what they're looking for is their food source and their habitats, and what we can do uh, to, to give them way stations so that they can get to where they need to go and they can they can propagate along the way you know so I think it's gonna that be cool. sounds like a really cool project um, and some of our listeners might remember about the million pollinator garden project I'll put a link up to that on our Facebook page again so people can find it and what that is Joe is people plant for the butterflies you probably know about the program but in case somebody else doesn't um, people plant little gardens for the butterflies and then they go to the website and it's free and they register their garden so people can see the actual impact that they're making and I think that's just such a cool idea because even if people just have a balcony garden where they put some zinnias and things like that and maybe a milkweed then they can be helping the butterflies. Right, right. And a lot so of kids are on board with that, and they're and they're and they and the nurseries are getting more um, access to milkweed and and the and the varieties. And the other thing that's important is that you pick the variety that's that's uh, best adapted to your area because you just you know there's a lot of varieties of milkweed out there, so you got to find the right ones. And, uh, and and people people have to know, too, that the tropical milkweed that they might be thinking of getting because it's kind of pretty, mm-hmm. that can cause problems with the monarchs because they are, tend to hang around and then they get diseases and the diseases spread. Of course, it's mostly a problem here in, in the south and in the deep south, but it can be a problem elsewhere. Yeah. So now, and you're going to go all the way down to Mexico and show them how cool they are in the trees? Yeah, I, I want to do that. I've never even been to Mexico, and I don't have a burning desire to go to Mexico, but I do have a burning desire to show how spectacular it is to see millions of monarchs in, in a relatively small space in Mexico because they always go back to the same place, which blows my mind. But to be able to show that, and, and then it'll, it'll look like a lot, but to know that that's a fraction of what it used to be like, um, yeah, yeah. And the other thing is it's scary because that land that they go, from what I understand, the land that those, those butterflies migrate to is private land. But, of course, the government's involved in trying to ensure that it's protected, but still, you know, it's still private land. Yeah, and I've understood from some of the stuff that I've read that there's been some timber poaching on those lands. And, and um, so the, the trees that the monarchs rely on aren't there anymore. Oh, don't get me started with poaching. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. I think we, we feel pretty much the same way on that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just pretty awful. 
So what else are you going to be doing besides the Monarchs this year? Well, uh, I'll tell you, one of the th- back to focusing on gardening, one of the things that I've realized over the course of the six and seven years that we've been working on Growing a Greener World is that as a series, it was it was born to talk about organic gardening and related things that I know people that enjoy that sort of lifestyle are involved in as well. So it, it wasn't just gardening, but it was a lot of gardening. But as I said earlier, as we've come up past 100 episodes, it's, it's like you know we're evolving into different topics, and that's important and that's, that's necessary. But um, I feel like maybe we've left behind some of the gardening information that I don't, I don't want to leave behind. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that aren't getting fed that information through television or otherwise from a reliable source. But let's just talk about television for a second. You know, we're all familiar with the story of HGTV where, you know, we used to depend on that network to watch our gardening shows. And, sure. and they're, they're gone. I mean, there's no informational gardening shows on HGTV anymore. And the, and the very few that are there are, you know, makeover shows, and it's all about the high visual impact, and they're not even good plant choices. So what do you learn? You don't learn anything from that. And, and I would say of the very few gardening genre shows – in production right now. Ours is one of, I don't even know if I can name two others. And so, um, and, and I know for a fact we're not really feeding our audience to the depth and level that they want to be fed. So as we continue to produce new episodes for Growing a Greener World, we'll still, we'll still load it up with some good, solid gardening information in every episode. But I want to revive a brand that I started before Growing a Greener World ever came about, and that's Joe Gardner and JoeGardner.com. That was the website that I was most focused on when I was early on the TV, when I wasn't producing and creating my own television show. And JoeGardner.com was loaded with great information that people loved coming to, and um, it was it was popular without without me even really promoting it. But then we had to let that kind of go to the back burner when Growing a Greener World robbed all of our resources, and for good reason. But now we're at a position where we've got things kind of not on autopilot, but we've got some systems in place that's going to free up some time, and we're able to take on some more resources to bring back JoeGardner.com as a dedicated site that is loaded with great gardening information, and it's going to be based on what we know our audience is most interested in knowing more about. Because we're really plugged into that audience, beyond television, we, we interact with them every day on our social media channels and, and our newsletters and blogs, we, we do know. We have our finger on the pulse, and so we're able to speak to our audience and address those issues, and we're going to do that in three ways. We're gonna, through the website, we're going to deliver that content through very well-written articles, whether they're by me or by colleagues in the business on those areas that people want to know more about. We're going to do that in video, high-quality television-style produced videos, short-form and long-form, that they'll be able to access on the website and on YouTube. So people that don't know about JoeGardner.com or about me will discover it on YouTube in a general search, and that will lead them to the website to learn more, and hopefully they'll become you know more engaged with us there. And then the third way is going to be through podcasting. I'm a, I am a huge fan of audio consuming information through audio such as a podcast or you know a good radio show and i know i'm not alone in there and i love doing audio so um we're going to create lots of different podcast series and shows on information related to gardening but anyway the point of the story is 
There's going to be, however you want to consume your information related to gardening, you're going to find it on joegardner.com, and it's going to be there from a trusted source. You're not going to have to scour the Internet, and you're not going to have to wonder, well, is this YouTube video from this guy, is he a wacko, or is he the real deal, or is he is he motivated by something he's selling under the, you know, on the side, or anyway, we're going to, we're going to cut through all of that, and we're going to give you good, solid, trustworthy information from people that you know and trust, and it's all going to be there at joegardner.com. And that's going to launch, it looks like July now. I've got a, I've got a serious design team on it, and we're, I mean, it's, it's the real deal, and it's a lot of work, and it's not cheap, but we're very excited about this, and, and I think we've got some companies that are excited to work with us to, to bring this out here that want the messages and of gardening out there in a, in a professionally designed way from people that know how to tell it. That is really wonderful because there is so much junk out there. There are so many people that are putting out information that is not accurate. Right. And, you know, I feel like there was something that I was reading yesterday that sounded like it was a pretty complete good source, but on a few of the things that I was looking at, um, they were telling people to water their containers overhead, either t- containers of tomato overhead at noon so that they could dry out at night. Now, why would you want to water a c- over the top anyway when it's a tomato? And tomatoes are so subject to disease. That's Maybe if you live in the desert, you know, but if you live in the desert, you're not going to be growing tomatoes in the middle of the summer anyway, unless you're way up high someplace. That's yeah. it, it, just junk, and yeah. it makes me nuts. Yep. Um, and, and, of course, Extension has some wonderful information, but Extension resources tend to mostly be a little boring, dull. That's the other thing. <clears throat> yep. They, they, they have um, kind of a governing body, for lack of a better term, that, that mandates, you know, how their articles are presented. And they're very neutral and they're very, you know, they just can't go where we can go because we're not, we're not tied to the same restrictions. And it's not it's not that we're gonna we're never gonna give inaccurate information. We're just gonna we're gonna present more of both sides of the story because people need to know what their options are and know the pros and cons of each and and I don't think extension often goes there enough. Well, they do have disclaimers and Right. You know. I, I understand their position because they are funded. They're a government yeah. agency, yeah. and a lot of extension is is has been given grants for the research by yep. other by big corporations, yep. and that's the only way they can do it because, of course, the government cutbacks have been so severe in so many places. So I understand right. that, right. and I also understand that they want you know they don't want personality much in in a lot of the articles. I remember writing articles for Extension. It was just, oh, it would just make bore me to tears trying to do it their way. And I was so happy when I, when I did the weekly column for, one of, for a little chain of the local papers because I could, you know, I could talk. I could really say something. Yeah. So I'm so glad that you're going to be the one to do it because you can really engage people. Well, I find and I- that. It's yeah, exciting. I think so. I, I think I can, and I and I think because we can do it in all the different mediums for delivering that content online, um, we can cross promote. We can we can we can tell the same story three different ways. You know, through the writing, through the video, through the audio. Um, we can go deeper in one versus the other. But um, 
I just don't see that being offered anywhere else these days consistently and, again, from a trusted source, and I think that's key, you know. So really, really, really excited about it, and um, it's been a long time coming. I've missed it. I've felt bad when we had to kind of forward JoeGardner.com over to Growing a Greener World, and we didn't leave our audience behind because we put a lot of that information on Growing a Greener World, and it honestly is, is, is the most traffic that we get on our site is still for the gardening information that should be on JoeGardner.com. So We're going to take a little that, break right now, but when we come back, let's talk some more about that. We'll be back right after this. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and this week I'm talking to Joe Lample from Growing a Greener World TV and JoeGardner.com. And right before the break, Joe, we were talking about your plans to bring Joe Gardner back um, with garden, more gardening information. Now, that right. is that. Um, are you going to do that all organic gardening, or and is it going to be vegetable gardening, or are you going to branch out into landscape stuff, too? It's going to be all of that. It's going to be organic because that's just who I am. Um, and I think it's important that people uh, – that's – to me, that is the – that's the that's our future. And that's the audience that needs to needs to know the most about it is the are – the, are the up-and-comers, the people that are getting into it, or the people that are converting from conventional gardening for lack – you know, for chemical gardening. Um, that's – how I garden, and, and if I'm going to be doing the one telling the story and filming the episodes and all of that, there, it's going to be organic focused. But it is going to be growing food, and it is going to be out into my landscape. Uh, and, and I want people to see just beyond the food garden, but that that is a big part of what I do. But we have you know a good amount of land here, and we just started landscaping it finally in the last episode of season six that they can watch episode 326 and when Bree was down here and we did a not a landscape makeover but we did a a good show about the process of how you go about designing a landscape and we'll continue that story over on joegardner.com as we continue to maintain and install new things and what are we installing and why are we doing it and why does this work best there so there's plenty of opportunity, lots and lots of content to come that we've never touched on before. Uh, but all, while all that's going on, a lot of a lot of vegetable garden growing. Um, if people missed the 
episode with that you did on starting to design a landscape. They can find that on growingagreenerworld.com, right? Right, right. right. It's episode 326. Okay. And now when you were one of the episodes that 626, you did was, sorry, I said, was with was with Doug Tallamy and mm-hmm. um, native plants and the insects and birds that rely on them. Are you going to do some more of that too? Absolutely. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about that here because when we installed the landscape or designed the plan, it was all about um, a pollinator-friendly garden that attracted lots of native wildlife and why we were using the plants that we chose. And it's really basically taking the story of Doug Tallamy's Bringing Nature Home story and um, and Rick Dark's living landscape message, which are somewhat the same but told differently, and uh, elaborate on that in a way that uh, you know brings it brings it home here in our garden. And, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. That's something that people are so interested in now. We've you know people are starting to see finally what you and I have been harping on mm-hmm. for decades about the damage that's been done by the way we've been doing things over the years, yeah. and particularly since World War II. And, you know, it's hard to find really good information on that. It is. It is. And, it, and, and I think people maybe don't stop to realize that they really can make a difference. And, yes, it is just one yard, but their yard's connected to another yard, and that, those yards are in a neighborhood, and those neighborhoods become a community. And, and, you know, it just adds up. And sometimes it seems like such a daunting task, and, you know, how are we going to make a difference just right there in our own little corner of the world? But to me, it is always about the collective efforts, and it's, you know, the first step. The journey of a 1,000 miles begins with the first step, and, you know, we all need to play our role. And that's, that's my message. And some of the steps are just so simple. You know, even and some of the steps make your life easier. If you've got a, of course, if you have a lawn, you need to remove some of the leaves from it. But if you've got a wooded area, um, let the leaves be because the a lot of insects overwinter in there. And it used to be that they would say, "Well, make sure you got them all up because you over a lot of the overwintering insects are bad." But now we know that less than three percent of the insects in the entire world are bad for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Or for our gardens, right. and that that birds rely on. I've got a little wooded area out here, and I just have the the biggest blast in the wintertime looking out and watching the birds come in and flick over leaf after leaf after leaf, Isn't looking for for their dinner. Yes, you know? that, and yeah. and and other things like you know, don't do your garden cleanup in the fall if you have to leave it. And, and that was one of the lessons that I learned. I had always been one of these people. Yes, you follow the rules and you, mm-hmm. you know, you deadhead everything and you, you cut the things down when it gets towards fall. And one year I was really busy with work and going to school. And I came home one day and there were goldfinches all over my coneflower, mm-hmm. all over the coneflower heads. They were looking for food. Yeah, the cone head, they were. 
you know, so it's, there's so much that people can do. Now, in the vegetable garden, you and I are both passionate about growing vegetables organically. Mm-hmm. Is there anything new that you're going to do this year? I know, like last year, we had a lot of trouble with um, some with some diseases because it rained darn near yeah. every day for such a long time. Yeah, and you and know that's been something. the case for my fall and winter garden too. We've had. Daryl, since September, I have a I have a weather station here on my on my at my garden actually that measures the rainfall to a hundredth of an inch and you know all the other good bills and whistles that you want to know if you're really into weather like I am. But we've had over 25 inches from September to the end of December. We had over 25 inches at my garden, and this year we've had. Um, Almost six inches so far. So the month of January, we're not even finished with that. So we've had six inches. And it's just soaking wet everywhere. And even though my raised beds have fantastic drainage, it's just been too much water. And my plants have suffered because of it. And it's just disheartening. But, you know, that's gardening. Every year is different. And this is this is no exception to that. But I'm hoping that... We get some relief from that this summer because, you know, the tomatoes are not going to like a really wet garden. No matter mm-hmm. what we try to do to prevent it, it's it's going to take its toll. Yeah. So are you going to um, forget growing heirlooms? Never. Or... <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's my passion. I just love, I love, there's so many varieties I have yet to grow, and, and you know, our mutual friend Craig LaHoulier is is a great source for telling us the story behind many of those heirlooms that we either know and love or we want to know and love. And so I have a lot more of those that I want to do. And then you and Craig are working on some dwarf tomato varieties that uh, I've never grown before, and there's more coming all the time, and I'm really excited about those. So out of the 16 raised beds that I have, there is no doubt half of those will be filled with um, heirlooms and, and some of these new dwarf varieties that we're working with. And then we'll see, you know, whatever whatever else the some of the old standbys for sure. Yeah, I discovered that one of the dwarfs did not get late blight until, you know, it, just about the last gasp. It was rosella purple. Mm. So you can bet that that's going to be, and that's, again, one of the dwarf tomatoes that was developed by Craig and his team of, of people. And 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 they released 20 more of them joe he okay. gave me his he he gave me his top 10 out of the 20 and he was having trouble narrowing it down to that um that's on the the facebook page from a couple of weeks ago if people are, are interested and so of course we have to try some of those yeah. are you going to try some really disease resistant hybrids too for insurance <sighs> I don't know. It just doesn't excite me. I, I, I like the challenge of. I don't. I don't know. I, I think I grow enough that I put up with the diseases, even though it drives me crazy. The, I don't. I don't get excited by the hybrids. Um, maybe I should. I hear you. I hear you. I might get one or two just so I can have a crop. Because this is the second year in a row that I haven't been able to can any tomatoes or, or freeze enough for the winter. I'm already right. buying tomatoes, you know. And I, yeah, I'm buying organic tomatoes, but they come in a can, and they're just not the same right. as the stuff that you've grown because um, they have to put calcium chloride in it to keep it from getting all mushy. and mm-hmm. No, it's just not the same. No. So do you have any in particular that you grew last year that you want to grow again? 
I do. I, I, you gave me Tiger Tom, didn't you? Yes, I did. I love that one. And, and of course, Sun Gold is an old standby, but you gave me my Sun Gold last year. i got to have more of that. that. I only had one plant and it wasn't overly productive for some reason, but um, I can't get enough of those. Um, now, our mutual friend, Phil, who's been on the show with yep. me before and who has a, runs a CSA um, not too far from us, it's Community Supported Agriculture. He grows vegetables for people. Anyway, he said that one of the ones that he got from Craig last year um, was called Egg Yolk, and that Craig yeah. said that it was as good as Sun Gold but didn't crack so much. So well, there you go. I think I'm going to give that one a try, too. And, and he wants to try that again, so I will try to find some seeds for it. Um, and, and people, if they want to find seeds for heirloom tomatoes, I can't recommend Seed Savers Exchange highly enough. Right. They're leading the pack in trying to keep old varieties in commerce so that they're available. And sometimes they're the only people that have saved a variety. Well, and they have such a great story, too. You know, they've 30 years in existence of, of just trying to make sure that some of these old favorites don't disappear. And the fact of the matter is 90% of what was growing in the, at the, turn, in the 1900 turn of the century is gone off the face of the map today. It's extinct. And so if we don't have a, some sort of organized effort to save these seeds, they're going to be gone. And, and Seed Savers was, to my knowledge, maybe the first organized group to do that. And, uh, you know, so to support them is really important, and they do such great work anyway. Yeah, and membership isn't very big, very large. It's not a great expense, and you get a discount if you're a member, too. So yeah. that's, a, that's a good deal. And you can save seeds. Um, and are you going to do a show on how to save tomato seeds? Yeah. I was, when I, my hesitation was well, I wondered if I'd already done that uh, but we're going to put that. That's we're going to redo it anyway because that's a classic thing for JoeGardner.com to put on put on that site. And um, and you know and and you mentioned Craig. We've only got about a minute before we have to take a break. Um, but are are you going to be doing a show with Craig? We are. We're going to do a show called Epic Tomatoes, and and who better to do that with than Craig with his great book by the same name. And we're going to go to his place a couple times next year. We're going to catch him early in the season, mid-season, and at harvest time from his place. And we're going to learn lots from him and see his turf and what he does right there at his place. If there's something about tomatoes that Craig doesn't know, I I don't think that... Well, I don't think that there is. He's it's just very and the, the book is mar- marvelous, and he keeps all this stuff in his head too. It yeah. just blows me away. Yeah, he's, he's cool. What you, we mentioned Seed Savers Exchange, and one of the things that Craig had done that that our listeners might be interested in is that he got some seeds that were no longer available anyplace. He got samples that had been put away in the USDA seed bank Mm -hmm. and carefully coaxed them to grow. And some of them were so old, germination was terrible. And then once he got them, he started growing more seeds from them and distributing them. And and some of those seeds are available from Seed Savers Exchange. We're going to have to take a little break right now, but you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show, and we'll be right back after this. 
When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. This week I'm talking to Joe Lample from Growing a Greener World TV and JoeGardner.com, and he's telling us about all the different things that he's going to do this year and the different ways that his show is going to branch out. And right before um, we took the break, we were talking about tomatoes. We may get back to those if we have time. But there's another food that you're interested in. You mentioned champion trees. Oh. and and the American chestnut. Yeah. Tell us so I, about that. I, I One of my passions, uh, I love trees. I just love trees. I think they're beautiful, and they are so, they play such an important role in our ecosystems. And, gosh, if they weren't here, we wouldn't be here either because we got to have them to breathe. But, anyway, one of the trees in particular is the American chestnut. And... Most of us are aware of the story of their sad decline, rapid and sad decline over the years. But there's been a big effort uh, in in the last couple decades to try to find a way to bring them back and make them resistant to the disease that killed them in the first place. And so um, along the lines of this Champion Tree Project, which is basically recognizing the biggest, beautiful, majestic trees of each species in America – we want to we want to try to tell that story, but I can't ignore the the American chestnut story. So they may be separate stories, um, but we've made great progress with what's going on with the chestnut tree these days. It's 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 got some inbreeding, a little inbreeding to to breed in some resistance from a from I think a, maybe the Chinese chestnut. I I can't remember off my off the top of my head, but anyway, there's some really good research going on and some some promising results so far. And we're getting we're getting close, and they're they're putting chestnuts out into um, different areas to grow them out, and they've had really good results. And it's such a valuable tree, such a beautiful tree, such a multifunctional tree that I think there's a story there. And uh, considering the I history that it had, yeah, yeah, I would love to hear it because I remember chestnuts. I'm old enough, and they're of them, of course, were already gone by the time that I was coming along, but I still remember them and how huge they were, and I remember looking out in pastures as I would be traveling with my parents, because we always drove pretty much wherever we went, cross-country, and seeing these dead trees, and they were just enormous. Yeah. And they feed so much wildlife. I mean, the whole ecosystem changed when the chestnuts disappeared, just like what's happening with the hemlocks disappearing up in North Carolina and Appalachia. It's funny so you mention di- that. That's my I, I, the first time I went up to um, uh, Mount Mitchell 
this is a while ago now, but the uh, woolly adelgid had come through and done its damage and wiped out the hemlocks. But 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 my recollection was like a, a couple years before that, I had been up to Mount Mitchell and it was gorgeous and beautiful, just like you would imagine the Smokies to be. And then a couple years later, we went back there, and I was still a kid, but I looked out over that same vista and everything was dead. And, and I couldn't get my arm. I didn't know what had happened. I couldn't get my arms around it. And uh, it was the most depressing thing I'd have ever seen. That That's one of those things you can't unsee. You know, you see it once yeah. and you'll never forget it. And that's that's my experience with what happened with the um, the hemlocks. Yeah. Uh, my in-laws had a, had a house um, in western North Carolina, um, not too far from Asheville, just west of Asheville a ways. And when we first started going there, all the hillsides were covered in wonderful hemlocks. Yeah. And as years progressed, they just disappeared so that they're, you know, there's just a bunch of dead trees still there. Some of them are, most of them are now falling down that were the first affected, but it was, it's just awful. Anyway, so you're going to talk about champion trees, yeah. and are any of those food trees, uh, or are those just the enormous ones, like the, the biggest uh, Yeah, they're not live so much food trees. They're mostly the ornamental trees, but they're, um, they, they're all going to have a story, and they're all going to... I love the story on every one of them, but these are uh, during that designation is the champion tree is is a pretty big deal, and so we're going to see how many of those stories we can tell in a fixed amount of time. It, that's always the challenge. Yeah, yeah, getting getting the story told in twenty one minutes. That's, yeah, that's tough. That's yeah, tough. another one we want to do. If do I have time to tell you another one or two? Sure. Okay. Um, I have a thing for. Farm, uh, factory farming is a real pet peeve of mine. <laughs> and, you know, how the animals are raised and abused and mistreated and mm-hmm. processed. And that whole thing is just, a, you know, it's another show for another day. But anyway, it bothers me a lot. And, and one of the shows I want to do is I want to feature a place uh, called the Farm Sanctuary. And and I think they're the largest of, its, of their type. But basically they rescue... Animals that were destined for, you know, the table, and uh, they'll they'll go to feedlots and they'll go to you know places where they're about to be processed, and they'll they'll pull them out of their out of their near death state, and they'll or earlier in the process. But the point is, every animal on the farm gets to live out its life, and um, they were rescued from um, a factory farming situation, and. Um, it's incredible. The people that have gotten behind it, the support that they've gotten from some big-name investors and celebrities. and, and But, I mean, the guy that started it, I mean, he just wanted to do a good thing. And, and that was many years ago, but it is a thriving farm. And they have a location in upstate New York and one in California now. And uh, they're doing really cool things. And it's a, just a heartwarming story. And I want people to know more about, you know, what the backstory of that story. Now, are you, have you seen the um, the drone footage of yeah. one of the big pig farms? Okay, that I'll, I'll put a link to that. Um, it's drone footage of um, hog farms, and then of them dump blowing the hog manure out over fields, and how it gets into the lungs of the people that live nearby. Mm-hmm. Ugh, there's so much stuff out there, and I, I really have to thank the people that were good enough to to take 
cameras into processing plants and farms, and even though it's very, very hard to watch it. it so watch. you're going to do a thing on that and farm sanctuary. I'm glad. What else do you have that you're thinking of? Oh, wow. Um, what the labels really mean, you know, we've touched on that in an episode in the past, but talk, we talked about greenwashing earlier in this show, and, and mm-hmm. so many companies, you know, put a label on it, and all of a sudden you think it's, uh, you, can, you feel good about buying it. But the fact is yeah. you're misled by the label, and you don't really understand that cage-free doesn't really mean that they're out frolicking in the grass every day. And, and mm-hmm. you need to really drive the point home on, on what you should be buying and how you should not be fooled by certain packaging and certain labels. So I think there's a there's a whole episode there because there's a lot of that these days that have been exploited. And even the term natural these days it means nothing at all. There's no there's no parameters around it. And so we want to, you know, you asked me about if we're going to expose some of these companies. I, I still don't know if we'll how how and if we'll name names. But there's lots of good examples out there that we're going to have to. We won't can't help but not tell. Yeah. Well, good for you, Joe. I, I'm happy because people need to know because the choices they make when they're buying food affects the planet. It affects all of us. Yeah. And some of it can kill us, and that's not very good. Now, what else do you have that you're thinking about doing? Well, recycling. I, I, I mean, we, we recycle a lot these days, but I don't think many people realize that the companies that process the waste or the, or the products that we think are being recycled, they're not as excited these days to take them because it's, uh, there's, a, you know, there's a cost involved and there's resources involved in collecting what we put in the recycle bin. And if it's not an e- economically viable option for them, what's the point of them continuing to do it? And we've recently seen a number of companies, such as Waste Management, I think I got an accidental email from them not too long ago that said they were no longer going to be collecting glass in your in your uh, single-source recycling bin. And I thought, what? And it was it was an email from them. And I, and I tweeted it out, and lo and behold, within a few hours or less, I got a direct tweet from Waste Management and said, no, no, that was, that was an accident. That shouldn't have gone out. We, we will continue to recycle glass <laughs> in your area, I think is what they, they said. And so that led me to think that, well, so this is probably coming, you know. Um, I noticed that a lot of the companies and even our local county recycling, I have, they have cut way back on the, especially the number of plastics that they take. Right. They used to take pretty much all of them as long as they were sorted out, and now they're only taking ones and twos. And, of course, an awful lot of stuff comes in ones and twos, but an awful lot more doesn't. So now instead of just buying the product I want, I've been looking at the bottoms of containers to see whether I can recycle them. Hmm. That's kind of, we shouldn't have to do that. No, that's interesting. Yeah, we should not. But it ends up in the landfills. What happens is, is these companies are no longer taking them to be recycled. If we, if, we, if we don't have a way to reuse them, then they end up just going into the landfill, sadly. That just stinks. That, we got to talk about something a little happier. We only got about two minutes, and yeah, I want to leave time to get your website in. But I found Craig's um, list of most intensely flavored tomatoes, mm. and you know he and I have very close tastes, and I guess you do too because you like the Tiger Tom so much. Yeah, um, the nice, really full flavored tomatoes, 
And one of them, of course, is Sun Gold. And uh, our friend Phil mentioned that Sun Gold is great, but um, it cracks a lot, and it does. And he said that um, Craig had told him that, uh, told Phil that, uh, darn, egg yolk. Egg yolk was very much like it and didn't crack. So I'm going to try that one. Yeah. And pink Berkeley tie-dye just seems like something that I have to grow. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the name of it. Yeah, and I like it sounds pretty too. And I and I like it a pretty does. tomato on the on the vine too. So that helps. And and then there's a tomato that came out of Mexico called coyote. Now, I like tomatoes with stories and if they taste good too, that that's way up there for me. Yeah. And did you get Green Giant last year? No. I had Green Giant, and I also had one of its crosses that's dwarf, and I think we have to grow that again, too. Wow. And I'm, I'll try to get seeds from it. Some of these seeds are a little difficult. He did give us some um, places to go to get them, like seed savers for some, and um, for, for the regular heirlooms in particular, and I left the um, stuff. I put everything on all the show notes up on our Facebook page for people to see. So if you want to just go back a couple of weeks, you'll see the other um, companies that he that they distribute to because they don't just send out all the seeds to every company. They yeah. because they you know at the start of the program there really aren't all that many seeds of one type. Mm-hmm. So now you mentioned we've been talking about tomatoes. Are you going to grow any other vegetables? Are you going to do your normal like oh, broccoli yeah. and cauliflower and corn and peas? And oh yeah, all like the that. classic summer crops. Uh, although I'm over squash, I just it just doesn't do well for me. I, it takes up too much space for what I get out of it, and I just you know I, I yeah, need and that the squash vine borers and the squash bugs. yeah, and the and the, yeah. and the squash bugs are just they just ugh, I don't like them, and they're hard they're hard to control, especially organically. So yeah. I'm yeah. gonna wrap. I'm gonna get a whole bunch of tool, you know, the fabric that's used for weddings, and I'm gonna um, wrap mine up in that uh, this year. And I'm gonna try again. I'm, I'm a idea. fool. I'm a glutton for punishment. But I'll, let us know how that works. That sounds I can't like use roll idea. covers out in the front driveway. They'll think I'm, you know, <laughs> think somebody's dead in there. <laughs> <laughs> in a yeah. shroud. Yeah. Anyway, that's all the time we have for for this week. Joe, thank you so much for being with us. And Always I will get pleasure. these show notes up, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime and seeing your new shows. Great. We'll be thank back you. next week with America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I hope you'll join us. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for 